The following sermon audio is from Parkwood Kings Mountain in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. For more information, go to parkwoodkm.org. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone's waked up well, and as you've come to the house of the Lord, you're ready to hear from Him and to, to worship and praise Him as we've already done, uh, not only through singing, but also through hearing His Word. Now, Pastor Stephen knows uh, as, wow, what do I do? What do I not do? Don't do that. So uh, while they're adjusting the microphone and all that, today is going to be a bit different. And uh, don't, don't think that Pastor Stephen and I uh, are that I'm pulling a surprise because we've talked about this. And uh, what he knows is that today I'm going to tell the story that is found in Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, uh, I'm going to tell it as we would do it, my wife Renee and I would do it in an African church. As Stephen mentioned, we spent 23 years with the International Mission Board working in East Africa. We spent 11 years, the first 11 years of our experience working among a tribe of people that are located in southern Kenya, northern Tanzania called the Maasai. And while we worked among the Maasai, uh, people that we discovered very quickly have an illiteracy rate of about 85%. We discovered very quickly that if we used... uh, in our attempts to, uh, to plant churches, to do evangelism and make disciples and train leaders for new churches, that if we relied primarily on literate means, that we would be missing 85% of the population. And as I like to illustrate, if you're going to go to battle and you have two people to choose from, a 15-inch midget or an 85, 85-inch giant, who are you going to want with you, beside you, or behind your back? Me, I'm going with the 85-inch giant. Amen. And so we put our focus in on using means, oral means, storing, chronological Bible storing as an example, to train that 85% that are what we call primary oral learners. And Pastor Steve, Stephen Schultz, and others here in this church, we had five weeks together last year, and uh, I did some basic training in what's called the chronological Bible storing method as it relates to uh, basic church planting as well. And so... What I'll be doing today flows out of that experience. Now, one of the things I want to tell you up front is as I tell this story, I hope that you're going to listen, uh, uh, you're going to listen well, because if nobody raises their hands when I ask the questions, I'll just come to you. I'm not going to just pick on Isaiah and Chris as we normally do, or the elder of the church, Steve Schultz, but I'll pick you. So I want you to listen carefully. And as I tell this story uh, from God's Word, as it's found in Genesis 4, if you want to follow along, That wouldn't be a bad thing to do, or you can just listen. Now, Adam had relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son she named Cain. For she said, with the Lord's help, I have gotten a male child. Then later on, she gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was uh, a worker of the ground. Now, in the process of time, after many years had passed, on one occasion, Cain came with an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. But Abel came with an offering of the firstborn of his flocks and of their fat portions. And the Lord, he had regard for Abel and for his offerings, but for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. And so Cain became very angry. And his face fell. And the Lord asked Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not, if you do what is right, will you not be received? 
But if you do not do what is right, beware, for sin is crouching at, its do- at your door, and its desire is to have you, but you must master it. Well, Cain, after said something to his brother to the effect, Cain, Abel, let you and I go for a walk in the field. And as they walked alone out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord came to Cain and asked him, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. Who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said to Cain, Cain, what have you done? For the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. My mind just went blank. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are going to be cursed and separated from the very ground that opened its mouth to receive the blood of your brother. From this day forward, the ground will no longer yield to you its strength if you try to farm it. You now are going to be a wanderer and a, a fugitive wandering the face of the earth. And Cain said, Ah, Lord, but my, this, uh, this, uh, this punishment is too great for me to bear. For now I'm going to be separated from the ground. And now I'm going to live as a fugitive in the wonder of the earth. And I'm going to be separated from your presence. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, no, that's not going to happen. For if any man kills Cain, I myself will take vengeance on him sevenfold. And then the Lord put a mark of protection on Cain so that Anyone who found him would know they should not kill Cain. And then Cain left the presence of the Lord, and he went to live in the land called Nod, which means wandering, east of Eden. And there ends my story. And now these questions I'm going to be asking are found in your sermon guide. And so we're going to start with questions, as I've, as I've told Stephen to list them, questions that are focused on comprehending who is in this story, the characters, and what the main events are. And now you get to take place because I'm going to be asking you these questions. So first of all, when does this story take place? When does this story take place? Who are, raise your hand. That's the way I, I, then I'll know that you're ready to answer. When does this story take place? We're shy. I will pick on the elder first. Steve, even though I promise not to pick on just the leaders, but when does this story take place? We'll get everybody warmed up, because this is for real. I'm going to ask you questions, and I want, to, uh, want you to feedback. So this story, this, by the way, is a story cloth that we developed when working among the Messiah, and I've already mentioned that the majority of the Messiah were what we call primary oral learners, either totally illiterate or only functionally literate, and therefore as as uh, functional, just functional literates, they're not going to pick up the Bible and read it for themselves. Or it's hard for them to read and then to comprehend and then reproduce what they're reading. So this is story number four on our story in cloth. In the first cloth, we, in the first story, we would have learned about how God created angels, the spirit world, before he created man and woman, and how Satan had fallen. We'd have read how then God created the, the world the earth, the universe, and everything that's in it, and how when God created it, it was good. There was no sin in the world. And how that God had made man and woman, both in his likeness and his image, and how God had made a helper for Adam from flesh taken from his side, Eve. 
and how Eve uh, and how God brought them together to be man and woman. We also would have already uh, been told the story of how the Satan, how Satan using a serpent seduced the man and woman to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, we would have already heard in that story that the primary issue there is who is your master? What Satan used the serpent to do when seducing Adam and Eve was to get them to doubt the authority, goodness, and mercy of God. Yea, hath God said, no, you will not certainly die. God doesn't want you to be like him. You can be your own master determining what is right and wrong, good or evil. And so this is our fourth story now. Cain and Abel have been born. And because Adam and Eve, their parents, have rebelled against God, now they, like us, are born with a sin nature. So story number four is now the first story in the Bible about how, about the impact of this sin nature upon the children of Adam and Eve. And of course, we're also going to remember that in this story, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God gave a promise. When he cursed, put a curse, he put a curse first on Adam, then on Eve, and then on the serpent. And in verse 15 of chapter 3, remember, God said that from the seed of the woman, that is, one of her descendants, was going to crush the head of Satan, while Satan at that same time would bruise his heel. So we also have that promise, the first preaching of the gospel in the Bible, there in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 15. So this is indeed our fourth story and builds on everything that goes before. So our next question is, not only when does this story take place, but who is in this story? An easy one if you were listening. Who is in this story? Raise your hand, please. Yes, ma'am. Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel. Fantastic. There's one other major character as well. And God. Very good. You were paying attention on that one. Now what we want to ask ourselves is, what do the people in the story do? What are the major events? What do the people in the story do? What's the first thing that happens in the story? Mothers? Birth. Eve gives birth to Cain, and then she gives birth to Abel, right? Now what happens in the story? The brothers bring an offering. And we had that when question, and I think that in the text when it says, in the process of time, that's a time, that, that phrase denotes time. And I think it's important for us to understand that many, many years had passed since uh, Eve, Adam and Eve had given birth to uh, Cain and then to Abel. And that means more than likely, and I think it's certain, that they had also had many other children. Not only are Cain and Abel now adults, but there had been many other children born because later on in chapter 4, after God puts a, Cain, a curse on Cain, and Cain now understands he's no longer going to be a farmer. That thing which he took such pride in, his ability to, 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 gray, uh, to raise such beautiful crops from the earth, now that he realizes that's been taken from him, it says that he goes and lives east of Eden in the land of wandering, the land of Nod. And the next verse says, And Cain knew his wife, and she bore a son. And so the age-old question is, is where did Cain get his wife? Correct? Anybody been asked that question? I know I have. Well, obviously, his wife was a sister, one of the daughters of Adam and Eve. So when did this story happen? In the process of time. Many years had passed. Now there are a number of children have been born to Adam and Eve. Okay, so we have an offering brought. 
What happens in that offering? Yes, sir. God accepts the offering of Abel, but he rejects the offering of Cain. Okay? Now, we're not asking why yet. What else happens in this story? What's the next event? Yes, ma'am. Cain kills Abel. But there's something important before that happens. All right, raise your hand for me. Yes. Cain gets angry when he recognizes that Abel's offering was acceptable to the Lord and received by him. But his own offering was rejected. So Cain becomes angry. And now what happens? Yes. Ah, God talks to him. What does God do? What does God say? Why are you, Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? Huh. And what does Cain say? Well, actually, he doesn't say anything, does he? What, but, but go on with the Lord's words. Ah, now the Lord is very gracious and merciful, is he not? Because he doesn't just leave Cain in the dark, as he has never left you and I in the dark about the way to approach him, about the way to please him, about the way to have a personal relationship with him. God has never left his creatures, his creation, the crown of his creation, man and woman. He's never left us in the dark, has he? And so what does he say to Cain? What? He talks to him what? He warns him about sin. And what does he say about sin? Somebody else. Sin is crouching at your door. Huh. We in Africa know a whole lot about crouching. We know about crouching when we're looking for an enemy. We know about crouching when we're hunting. You get down and you crouch, right, when you, when you don't want someone to see you and when you're waiting for them to come out, like a hungry wolf waiting at the, at the door of the lair of a, of a smaller animal, right? Huh. And what does he say Cain must do? Cain must rule over it. Cain must master it. Even as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 that sin... For those who are in Christ, sin shall not be your master. Before, because if you offer the parts of your body to sin, you need to understand that at that point, sin is your master. No matter what you may say with your mouth, if you are using the parts of your body for sin, it is your master, and don't be pretending that the Lord is, right? So you must master it. But what does Cain do? Even though he receives a gracious and merciful warning, and is told by the Lord what he must do. What does he do instead? What's next in the story? He kills his brother. Now, how does he kill his brother? Talk to me about how he does it. Ah, it makes sense for a farmer to say, Hey, Abel, uh, come out here and have a look at how my tomatoes are doing, or whatever maybe it was, right? And what would be another reason you think that Cain would take Abel out into the field? Nobody would see them. Cain would think, as long as nobody's looking, I can get away from it, get away with it, right? But what does Cain forget? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about this more, but God is not only all-powerful, but he's also all-knowing. Okay, so what happens then after Cain kills Abel? 
making sure we have the events in the story properly. Because remember, if you were a primary oral, oral, oral learner, my chief goal for you is that you be able to go and tell the story to other people, right? I mean, that's all what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about my so living before you and so imparting God's word to you that it sticks and that you can go now and give it to party B and party B can give it to party C and party C can give it to party D. And if in our discipleship we're using means that are not reproducible, that don't, uh, uh, that don't feed the process of multiplication, then we're failing in our discipleship. Amen? Would you agree with that, Chris? Amen. Right. So where was I and what I was asking? So Cain uh, kills his brother, and then what happens next? Ah, where's your brother? And how does Cain respond? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow. What does that response have to say about Cain? What does that indicate about Cain? What are your thoughts on that? Can you imagine saying to God, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow, what does that say about, about a human heart? What does that say about how a, a particular person is thinking? Yeah, it's a hardened heart. No fear of the Lord. No respect, no reverence for the Lord. Absolutely. All right, so how do the characters in the story interact with one another? Well, the main interaction, of course, is Cain and Abel. We've seen that leads to Cain kill, killing Abel. We've talked about the interaction between God and Cain. And um, I think uh, the last question was, where do the actions take place? We've seen that it happens outside of the Garden of Eden because God has already cast Adam and Eve outside of the Garden he placed cherubim with a flaming sword at the, to the east of the Garden of Eden to make sure they do not try to attempt to come back to the Garden and eat from the Tree of Life. Amen? Correct? So we know that all this takes place outside the Garden of Eden. So now the second type of questions. You'll see now in the first questions we've asked who, what, when, where, and how. But we did not ask why questions. Now with the why questions we get to understanding the motives and the deeper issues that are involved in this story. So here's, one of the, here's like the main question of this story. And if you don't get anything else that we talk about today, please get this. Why did God not look with favor on Cain's offering? Ah, he offered something that was made by his hands. It was not of blood. Do you agree with that? Was it simply because of what was in Cain's heart when he offered the fruit of the ground? If his heart had been right before God, would the fruit of the ground been acceptable? I'm getting a yes. See, I disagree. I humbly disagree. And the reason I humbly disagree is because what we find in Scripture as a whole. If all we had was maybe Genesis chapters 1, 3 through 4. If that's the only portion of Scripture that we possessed, that might be a possible answer. But the fact of the matter is, we possess all 66 books of the Bible, the 39 of the Old Testament and the 27 of the New Testament. Now, when, Cain, when Adam and Eve sinned, they knew they were naked, right? And how did they try to cover their nakedness? They made for themselves 
fig leaves, the work of their hands. And yet, at the end of the day in that story, we find out that that was not sufficient. Therefore, what did God do to cover their nakedness, to make a covering for them? What did God do? God killed an animal and made covering for them from the animal's skin. God shed blood. So the first mention of death in the Bible is at the hands of God, killing an innocent animal so that he might make a covering, a kafar in Hebrew, for Adam and Eve's shame. Now we mentioned earlier that, Adam and, uh, that God does not, leave his, does not leave us in the dark. He does not leave us guessing. He does not leave us to our own devices to figure out how we are to approach him, how we are to be found acceptable in his sight, how we are to be considered righteous, clean, pure, forgiven in his sight. Do you believe that, that God does not leave us to our own devices? Do you believe that? I certainly do. I believe that God, every step of the way, reveals his will to us. And so, through the example of what God did of killing an animal and shedding its blood here, Cain knew what was right. Cain knew what was an acceptable offering. Now, I believe if we use a sanctified imagination, and that's one of the beauties about storying, is you, you dig into the story, and there are going to be gaps in any story, and that's why we have to place any particular story in the larger context of that book and the context of Scripture as a whole. But we, I mentioned that we have that time phrase in the story. In the process of time, Abel brought his offering, Cain brought his offering. And I mentioned that many years had passed because Adam and Eve had other children. They certainly had daughters because Cain would take one of those daughters as his wife. Amen? It's there in the Bible. So I believe that if we use a sanctified imagination, I think what's going on is this, that for many years Cain had to go to his brother Abel, who was a keeper of sheep, and either buy from Abel or barter with some of his vegetables or whatever from Abel a sheep to offer as a sacrifice. And in the process of time over the years, Cain, by whatever reasons or by whatever means Satan used, seduced his heart to come to believe something like this. Why should I have to go to my brother Abel to get a lamb? Why should I have to give my fruits and vegetables, which are just as beautiful, and I work just as hard as Abel ever worked to uh, raise in those sheep, why should I have to continue to go and get a sheep from Abel, my brother? Why can't I just take the works of my own hands, what I've labored by, my own, by the sweat of my brow to produce. You see what I'm saying? Now, on the front of that, that seems, yeah. I mean, he worked hard, sweat of his brow, good-looking fruit, good-looking vegetables, whatever it was, right? But that's not the issue. The issue is that God has never left us in the dark about how he is to be approached, about how our sin is to be forgiven. And the answer is, why was Cain's offering rejected and Abel's accepted? Because Abel's was of blood. It was in keeping with the teaching and example that God had already given to Adam and Eve. And the only reason Cain would act contrary to that is because of, is found in the warning that God gives to Cain. Cain, if you do what is right. See, you have to know what is right before you can act contrary to it or before you can be held uh, 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 as, being, as acting contrary to a known standard. And so we're saying that standard was set by God himself. The only way we can approach God 
The only way we can have our sins forgiven, the only way we can have our shame removed before a holy and righteous God is that a substitute must die. We mentioned the larger context of Scripture. Here's the story of Adam with, uh, sorry, of Abraham with his son Isaac. You'll know, remember that God told Isaac, you're going to take him up to the Mount Moriah, and there you're going to sacrifice your son, the son you love. And of course, we remember how that God, before Abraham strikes the knife into his son Isaac, how God provides a substitute uh, sheep, a ram, there in the, in, in the, that was caught in the thorns. Blood was to be shed. Even Noah, when he, is, uh, when he goes into the ark, God tells him to take a pair of all animals, but of the, clean, uh, of the clean animals he was to take, how many? Seven. Sacrifice was to be, uh, was to be made. Then we had the Abraham-Isaac story. Let's go all the way to that God brought on Egypt involved the death of the firstborn. But God made a way of escape for the Israelites and for all who would receive the word that God gave to them through Moses about the way of escape. And that way of escape was you're to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb. You're to take it into your home. You are to shed its blood. You're going to eat the meat. And as you eat the meat of that lamb, you're going to have on your clothes. You're going to have on your shoes as people who are ready to make a journey, right? And you're to take the blood of that lamb and to put it where? On the doorpost. And when the angel of death passes over Egypt, he will pass over those homes that have the blood. The blood causes the death angel to pass over. Of course, this, this story is about the tabernacle. And this is a picture of the high priest. And the whole story of the Day of Atonement is about how once a year, so that the Israelites' sins may be forgiven, how the high priest, one goat, he puts his hands on it, confesses its sin, and that goat is sent out into the wilderness. But one goat, its blood is taken by the high priest into the Holy of Holies. The blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat. And, and, and so that, that substitutionary sacrifice, blood is shed, blood, blood is sprinkled, and the sins are forgiven. So I, I really believe and that it, when looked in all of Scripture, and this is the most important question, as I've already said, it's because Abel brought a sacrifice of blood. A death had taken place. A substitutionary death had taken place. So <clears throat> why do you think? Excuse me, why does Cain kill Abel? Why does Cain kill Abel? Yes? He was angry. Abel was ex- Abel's sacrifice or offering was accepted and his were not. And here now, for the first time, I'm going to have you turn to the New Testament. <clears throat> and in the time I have, we're going, to, uh, we're going to do some of this. But we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to look, uh, I'll start at verse 11, and we'll read through verse 13 of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, and not be like Cain, who was what? Of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? There's our question, is it not? Why did Cain kill or murder his brothers righteous do not wonder brethren that the world hates you we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren he who does not not, he who does not love remains in death and anyone who hates his brother is a murderer 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the Apostle John makes it clear. Cain killed his brother because he had been seduced by the evil one. John's going to talk about, by this we know the children of God and the children of the devil. He who does what is righteous is of God. He who denies or he who does not do what is righteous is what? Of the devil. And he says, by this we will know, be able to distinguish between the children of God and between the children of the devil. So why did Cain murder his brother? Because previously, already, he, through the hardening of his heart, through his resentment, through his anger, through thinking that his works were good enough and God ought to accept the works of his hand as an offering. And his heart became hardened, and therefore the evil one came in. And so God said, sin's crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you don't have to be devoured by the evil one. You can master it. It was a gracious warning. But Cain hardened his heart, and instead of listening to the word of God, decided to take matters into his own hands. So then we ask the next question. Why does Cain respond to God's in, uh, inquiry, to God's question as he does? Why does, God respond to God's, why does Cain respond to God's question as he does? Pride? Guilt? I mentioned earlier, no fear of God. All those answers are correct. I want you to listen to Psalm, uh, the last verse of Psalm 111 and then several verses from Psalm 12, if you will. The last verse of Psalm 11 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who practice it. Listen to Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants, his descendants will be mighty in the land. The generations of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. And he goes on to talk about in Psalm 112, how those who fear the Lord and who have a proper knowledge of the Word of God will be blessed. But then it, tur it turns and it says in verse 19, and think about Cain when you hear Psalm 112, 19. The wicked man sees it and is angry, and he gnashes his teeth, and he melts away. The, the desire of the wicked man comes to nothing. So why does Cain to res respond to God's question? Cain, why are you angry? It's because he did not fear God. And this fear of the Lord is a major theme throughout both the Old and the New Testament. So why does God place a curse on Cain? Why does God place a curse on Cain? Because Cain rebelled against God. First in his heart, and then through the outward action of killing, actually killing, shedding his brother's blood. You know, uh, one of the things that, uh, one cross-reference that I wanted to use is found in Luke chapter 12. And I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to do uh, the last of these fairly quickly. But Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16. Here's where our Lord Jesus tells a parable. Luke chapter 12. Beginning with verse 16. And Jesus told the Pharisees a parable saying, The land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I, I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself, and he is not rich toward God. Apparently, one big source of the pride that filled Cain's heart was his ability to farm, was his ability to bring forth crops, fruit from the earth. Would you agree with that? And so when you look at that curse that God places on Cain, it starts with, cursed are you now. From now on, you're going to be separated from the earth. From now on, the earth will no longer yield its strength to you in the form of abundant crops. Now you're going to live like a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. God hits right at the source of Cain's pride. That which Cain wanted to rely on rather than the whole idea that to be acceptable to God, to approach God, to have his shame covered, to have his sin forgiven, that there must be a substitutionary sacrifice. The blood of an innocent animal had to be shed. But instead of that, Cain, because of his pride and because of being seduced by the devil, that your works are good enough. What you can bring to God on your own is good enough. God in his curse on Cain hits at that very thing, like the man in the parable in Luke 12. Ha, I'll tear down my barns. I'll have a place to store this abundant crop I've had this year. And for the rest of my life, it is what? Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, the one who puts his trust in anything other than in love for God, service for God, obedience to God, laying out their life as servants of God for his honor and for his glory, anyone who puts their trust and hope in anything else, God can that very night say to you, those full barns, whose will they be now? And so it is in our own lives. We've got to recognize that if we put anything before love, worship, service, obedience to Jesus and to his word, that God can in any moment pull out the carpet from underneath us, destroy that foundation. And when those things are removed, what will remain of your life? What will remain of your hopes? What will remain of your dreams if they're misplaced? in anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I got the question now, why did, God, why did Cain respond to God's pronouncement of the curse as he did? Cain, when God says, now you're cursed, you're going to be removed from the ground, the ground's no longer going to offer to you its strength, how does Cain respond? How did Cain respond? Ah, this punishment is too great for me to bear. Now I'm not going to be successful in farming. Ah, the number one thing in my life. Now I'm going to be a fugitive, live like a fugitive, and, and be a wanderer in the earth. But what's missing in his words? Repentance. Oh God, forgive me for what I've done, first and foremost, against you and your glory and your honor and your word and your example. Are those such words found in Cain's response? His heart was hard. He'd been seduced by the evil one. 
Rather than following the clear teaching and example that God had given to his parents, Adam and Eve, he chose his own way. And therefore, all he is worried about is the consequences of his sin rather than seeking forgiveness. Jesus said, except you become like a little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so entering into the kingdom of heaven, entering into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, starts with humility of heart. And that's what we don't find. Well, let's go to the specca, and we'll do these quickly. So what does this story teach us about God? When we do storying, there's at least five attributes of God that, that we encourage people to look for. We usually put hand motions with them. God created all things. God has all power. God knows all things. God is holy and righteous. God hates sin and must judge sin. But God is merciful and gracious and will forgive sin on his terms. Now, what does this story teach us about God? God loves us because he did show mercy and grace to Cain in coming and, and, and telling him, look, this is, what, this is what's at stake and this is how you must respond. You can master it. I will help you. I will give you grace. Now, I know all those words aren't there, but it's implied when we look at all of Scripture, is it not? What else do we learn about God in this story? Yes, sir. Yeah, but that, that, and that's true, Chuck. Man has a responsibility to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, and, but this question now is what does it teach us about God? You're jumping ahead on me, aren't you? But that's a true statement. What? Yes. God knows all things. Cain thinks, come on, Abel, let's go out. I want to show you my watermelons out in the field. And thinking that if nobody else is thinking, uh, watching, he'll get away with it. And immediately God comes to him and says, Cain, what have you done? Now, I'm running out of time, but if you go to John chapter 3, and I, maybe I'll just do it. Because uh, I'm getting ready to hit the Appalachian Trail for five and a half months, and you'll forget if I keep you. you by the time I come back, you'll have forgotten that I... Uh, that actually went a minute or two over. But listen to John chapter 3, because there's a, there's a motif in Scripture. There's a motif in Scripture about darkness and light. Listen to John chapter 3, and verse, what is it? Let's look at just verse 20 and 21. John chapter 3. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. So there's this major thing, not only in the, in the gospel of John, but throughout the New Testament, that God is light, right? And so those who, who are determined to do what is right, whose chief motive is to, to worship, to honor, and to know God, they're happy for everything that they do and say. <clears throat> to be exposed to the light, to be done publicly. But it is only those who know that they are acting contrary to the holiness and to the word of God who want to do what? Their deeds in the darkness. And therefore, Paul, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, says, we are to be children of the light, not children of darkness. Yes, God knows all things. And we are to be children of light, happy for all of our deeds and all of our actions and all of our words to be exposed. <clears throat> what does it teach us about people? What does this story teach us about people? 
We are sinful. Since the <clears throat> rebellion of Adam and Eve, we now are not in that same condition that Adam had when made by God. But there now is that sinful nature in us. And redemption has to be made by, by shed blood. Because Hebrews said, author of Hebrews says in chapter 9 and verse 22, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. So what does this teach us about people? We have this answer. What, what else? We are sinners who need to be saved. Is there anything else? We know we know what is expected of us, but, but we do the opposite. A fruit or a consequence of the rebellion of Adam and Eve on all of their children. Anything else that it teaches us about people? Yes? We should know that there is no work on our own that we can do to obtain salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, not of your, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right. Anything else that teaches us about people? <clears throat> we deceive ourselves. Cain was seduced by the evil one, and therefore he continued to what did you say? Deceive himself. Ah, the issue here is Cain, Abel, and this is goody two-shoes Abel, my brother. If I can just get rid of Abel, no, we deceive ourselves. And that's, that's what the scripture calls hardening of heart, hardening of heart, the deceitfulness of sin. Anything else that teaches us about people? Right. If we, if we refuse to submit to God and to His Word, to see that the most important thing about me while I'm in this world is to know Him and to make Him known, then it's going to be one battle after another after another. In the book of Proverbs, it says that the way of the sinner or the way of transgressors, what? Hard. The way of transgressors is what? Hard. All right, so how can we apply this story in our own lives? How can we apply this story in our own lives? I don't know what's in your soul. Uh, oh, yes, I do. Ah, will you follow Abel's example in standing for him, firm for the one true gospel in your own generation? Let's look at Luke 11 in closing, where that reference is given. Luke 11, 47 to 52. Interestingly enough, if, you've never, if you haven't uh, read this passage beforehand, Abel is called a prophet by Jesus. Let's begin reading in verse 45 of Luke chapter... Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, Luke 11:45. One of the lawyers answered Jesus, Teacher, in saying this, you reproach us also. And Jesus said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load men with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch their, uh, the burdens with even one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers. For I will blood of all the prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. 
from the blood of, who does it say? From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it shall be required of this generation. A major application that I want to ask of you is this. What does a prophet do? Jesus calls Abel a prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet proclaims God's word. Would you agree with that? A prophet proclaims to the people of his or her own generation the word of the Lord. And what Jesus is saying to the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers of his own day is the one, the Messiah, promised in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. He is, he is the one who sits with you. He is the one whom all these prophets that God has sent that spoke the word of God to their generation, he sits with you. Jesus, knowing that these very Pharisees crucify him, crucify him, his blood be on us and on the heads of our children. Therefore, this means that Abel, in his own day and generation, was a prophet proclaiming the word of God. So who is he proclaiming the word of God to? I think given this story, we've got to know it's Brother Cain to a great extent. And remember we said that if we use our sanctified imagination, we know that years go by and there's this process of the hardening of Cain's heart where he starts asking himself, why should I go and get a sheep from Abel? Why can't I just tame? I've covered their own nakedness and shame with the, with the works of their hands by sewing together fig leaves. It, it didn't work. And therefore God showed them what was right and proper and good in his sight. And he himself took an animal and he killed it and he shed its blood. Brother Cain, please, don't be in, uh, in rebellion against God. Don't harden your heart. This day, if you hear his voice, repent, humble yourself before him and come to him with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And at what cost, what did it cost Abel in his own generation? As it cost the countless other lives of others, apostles and prophets, his very life. Will you go, and in your own day and age, outside these church walls where it's safe and secure, out there in the world, where there are fewer and fewer people who believe in the truthfulness and authority of God's word, will you follow Brother Abel, even to the point, if necessary, of shedding your blood to give testimony so that, as Jesus put it, all nations may know I am the Messiah, and that they might be discipled, they might be baptized, they might be taught everything that I've commanded you so that my name might be praised, so that the fame of my name might be, be made known to people of all tribes, tongues, and people of nations. The gospel in Genesis through the prophet and our brother Abel. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for this story. We thank you for how the gospel is made even clearer in story number four from your word. Lord, enable us as we go forth from this place to follow the example of Abel and to be consistent and to be bold and yet to be loving and gracious when we do it, but to be bold in our witness that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through him, and that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin, and that the one who has shed his blood on Calvary's cross did so as God's final 
and ultimate sacrifice, the last sacrifice required. And therefore, all that is needed for people like Cain who have come under the influence and the power of sin, all they need do is look to the cross, see their need for a Savior, humble themselves like a little child, and say, Oh God, I recognize that I am a sinner. And I recognize that Jesus is the only one who can save me from my sin. And Lord, I trust and believe that He is able to hear my voice and hear my word of repentance and that He's able to cleanse me and forgive me. I know He rose from the dead on the third day to show to me and to all the world that He indeed, who is He claimed to be, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, Lord Jesus, make us bold like Brother Abel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for your patience.